Okay, you can turn in your Bibles to First uh, Timothy. Let's uh, jump back to First Timothy. We are rocking along here, and uh, Lord willing, we'll finish. We'll get into chapter five this morning, and uh, chapter five has a long section on how to care for widows. Uh, which we'll uh, move quickly through next time. And uh, Lord willing, we'll be able to be done with the book just before Christmas. And uh, if possible, we'll do the uh, Pastor Keith famous jet tour through the book um, the Sunday after Christmas. So Lord willing, that's where we're going. Um, but let's come back to First Timothy today. We're going to be looking again at chapter 4. And uh, because we had... Did, did you enjoy having Eager here? Um, and just hearing a little bit about his ministry and, and whatnot, and uh, just a dear man and uh, his family. Um, I mentioned it at some point, but not publicly, that um, their four-year-old son has type 1 diabetes. And um, I know health care in our country isn't perfect, okay? Let me say that. Um, you have no idea what it's like trying to get the equipment good care in Russia. And uh, thankfully, the Lord has provided a connection. There's a church in the States here that is connected with the seminary in Samara that uh, the, the vice president of a company that makes diabetic equipment happens to attend the church. And so he's been a blessing in terms of getting some equipment there. And then, of course, the, the things you can get are ridiculously expensive and so, uh, so just, just pray for Eager and his family. I meant to say that his son's name is Mark and, um, they're managing it well. Uh, some of you that have had children with diabetes, uh, know that, you know, as an adult, you know, it's pretty manageable, but as a child, you can imagine you've got those regular finger sticks and thankfully they've got, um, they've got an insulin pump that's, that's working well for him now, so they're not having to give shots all the time. But anyway, just pray for him, but uh, I really enjoyed my week with him and glad that he was able to be here to share with us um, from God's Word and get a chance to get to know him. You know, Pastor Terry and I have the privilege of getting to travel a little bit uh, to other countries, and one of the things that's hard for us is we build these relationships that are near and dear to us, and it's rare that we get to connect you guys to some of those relationships. So to have one of them come here is awesome because then you get to um, have those same joys that we get uh, building relationships with Christians around the world. So, All right, so First Timothy chapter 4, that's where we're at today. Chapter 4, verse 1, the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and the doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with the branding iron, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. So that's kind of the, the section that we're in right now. And uh, we're going to get to the really the second half of the chapter, which is where we left off last time. But because it's been a little while, because Eager was here to share, and, and First Timothy may be a little bit fuzzy, why don't we just review quickly where we've been, okay? What is this book about? This book is about what? Yeah, how, how a church, how to be a healthy church. And, and I don't know about you, I want to be a healthy church. 
uh, Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, who was one of the pastor elders at the church in Ephesus. He wrote to him because there were some problems. There were some challenges in the church, and Paul is writing to address those challenges. So as we, as we eavesdrop on their conversation, we get insight as to what a church should be and what health and growth should look like. And, and that's good because we want to strive to be a healthy church also and we can learn from the counsel that Paul gives to his young friend, uh, Pastor Timothy. So with, with that sort of backdrop in mind, look at some of the things that he has instructed Timothy in along the way in our study. Uh, the first thing and probably the, the real occasion, the reason for the letter was there was some false teaching that had come into the church and was corrupting uh, the, the teaching ministry as well as the the life ministry. Because you guys know uh, a doctrinal issue is never just a doctrinal issue, right? Why is a doctrinal issue never just a doctrinal issue? It affects people's lives, doesn't it? Yeah, because we live out of what we believe. So if what we believe is wrong or even misguided in some way, that affects how we live and how we do life and ministry with one another. So we, we counsel and live out of our doctrine. And so getting doctrine right is not just something for pastors and theologians to do. It's something that we all need to get right because it does really affect how we live. So the first thing he's going to say is deal with false teaching and those who support it. And he talked about that in chapter 1 as well as recognizing the hope of the gospel to change lives. Even as even as we have to bring correction to people that um, whose doctrine is wrong or maybe even heretical, well, we don't do so in a way that, that's... Um, you know, rude or, or arrogant because we know that we were once in a position just like them, weren't we? And God was gracious and kind. Remember Paul uses back in chapter one, Paul's going to use his example of being a Christian killer and Christian persecutor to say, Hey, God had mercy on me. He can have mercy as well on these false teachers. And we need to pray for that. Number three, make a commitment to keep the faith by fighting for the faith. Uh, Paul says that that's why I'm just gonna I'm gonna um, <clears throat> bolt down and um, and refocus on the commitment to fight for the purity, <clears throat> excuse me, um, of of the faith and to maintain that standard. By, by the way, this is not in your notes. This is just for free, so you can remember where we've been. Um, hang on, just a second here. There we go. All right. And um, and then number four, be a church who prays, especially for leaders. Uh, while we might have some issues with some of our government leaders, and rightly so at times when they don't govern in a biblical or God-honoring way, Christians pray for them first uh, and foremost. And so that's what the, the chapter is there, chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. Be a church who prays especially for our leaders. Teach the exclusivity and universality of the gospel. Remember he writes... Uh, there, there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all the testimony given at the proper time. And we're about to celebrate the beginning of that redemption plan with the Christmas holiday. Uh, the next thing there, he says there is train men and women to pursue godliness, uh, that, that the goal of our instruction is really love from a pure heart and a sincere conscience and a good faith and and that that purity that 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 aim should translate into a pursuit of godliness and holiness. And then really the last couple of weeks we've talked about establishing biblical roles in the church and running the church in a biblical way and that leads us into uh, our chapter today. 
um, where he reminds us, again, this is review, to be warned about false doctrine and to nourish ourselves on sound doctrine. Looking back at the text, <clears throat> I told my throat it wasn't allowed to do this this morning. Um, I'll get through this here. So chapter 4, verse 1, this is the sobering reminder that Paul gives to Timothy that there will be some who fall away as as things move along. And, and Paul tells us some insights. This is really helpful. Why do people ultimately fall away from Christianity? He tells us they fall away due to lies and false doctrine. They fall away due to hypocritical teachers. And then he gives some examples, uh, people that are just making up rules. In Paul's day, there were some false teachers saying that uh, you shouldn't get married or you should abstain from certain foods. And then those were, those were outside of the Bible. Those are rules not found in Scripture. And so by going beyond the Bible, uh, these false teachers, hypocritical teachers, are leading people away from the faith. And then recognize as well that it's it's necessary to correct false doctrine by looking to the Word of God. It's interesting uh, what he says there at the end uh, in verse five. He says, um, uh, "For everything created by God is good, and nothing to be is nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. For it's sanctified by means of the Word of God in prayer." We say, "Well, how did Paul know that?" And the answer is, he went to the Scriptures. And the scriptures were able to correct the doctrine of false teaching. And that's why, again, if you're, if you're new to our church, if this is, um, uh, if, if you're new here or maybe new to Christianity, that, that what, what we believe is that the Bible, the Word of God is our final and ultimate standard of what is true and, and what we ought to do in our lives and in our church. And even if that's me or Pastor Terry, one of the elders or a Sunday school teacher, whoever it is, that the Bible is the standard. And uh, none of us, even those in leadership, are ultimately authoritative in that way. Uh, the Word of God, we, we submit ourselves to the Word of God itself. Um, and that's why spiritual leaders expose and warn about false doctrine and feed themselves on sound doctrine. You say spiritual leaders do that, but we all need to be doing that. Uh, that... The, the, the best way to avoid error and being distracted by things that aren't true is to be robustly familiar with the truth. And if you're reading your Bible and you're learning your Bible and you're nourishing yourself on sound doctrine in your Bible, you're going to be a lot uh, less prone to being deceived by the latest and greatest Christian fad that you're reading on your favorite blogs and Facebook posts. So we stay in the Scripture to be able to determine that. We talk, talked in chapter 4, verses 7 and following about training yourself for the purpose of godliness. We, we noted that the uh, verse 7 is not a slight on women, right? Not, that's not in the ladies. Uh, the, the Bible honors you as well. Uh, but this is a, a really a, a command to avoid what we might call old wives' tales. Um, and instead, rather than being distracted by things that don't matter, train yourself to be godly. And uh, we work to strive with our hope fixed on Christ. And that brings us to our section that we're going to look at today. Now you can look at your notes, and uh, we'll pick it up there on your outline. Uh, and I'm just going to call this section Practice Biblical Ministry, because Paul goes into a bit of a shotgun mode, and he just starts throwing out all these different admonitions. All of them are worthy of our time and attention. But let's just look at them one at a time as we try to figure out what does a healthy church look like and what can we glean here. 
Okay, so look at chapter 4, verse 11. Prescribe and teach these things. And we'll talk about what these things are in a moment. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech and conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands of the presbytery. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be, progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Chapter 5, verse 1. Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, to younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters in all purity. Let's just stop right there and let's see what we can learn as we think about practicing biblical ministry. Okay, number one, we need to teach or direct and teach biblical truths. That's what verse 11 is about. Prescribe and teach these things. We say, what are the these things? The these things go back to what? Yeah, everything he just was talking about, right? He says in verse 10, it's this, we labor and strive. We fixed our hope on the living God. Uh, he's talked about disciplining yourself for the purpose of godliness and the promises uh, of Scripture that, that lead to that. Uh, in verse 6, he's talking about constantly being nourished on the words of the faith and sound doctrine which you've been following. So he says, in light of the, the sound doctrine, a pursuit of godliness, the hope of the gospel, he then says, now go share those things with other people and teach those things. Um, this reminds us that in in the midst of um, opportunities galore, think about, just just a church for a moment, think about how many things we could spend our time and attention on if we wanted to. Uh, The Lord has blessed us financially, the Lord has blessed us with a nice piece of property and nice buildings that are functional. Uh, We've got lots of opportunities. And it's like, what what are we supposed to be doing? What do we major on as a church. And I think that's why Paul says this here. He says, he says, looking at verse 11 again, prescribe and teach these things. Uh, the, the sound doctrine of scripture, the, the focus on the person and work of Jesus Christ. Um, uh, a Christian life that's centered, you ready for this? This is radical. On godliness, not entertainment. On godliness, not just doing what seems right, not just what seems nice. There's lots of things to do. But he's saying this as a sort of litmus test of what we're focused on. We ought to be growing in Christ's likeness. That's what godliness is about. Godliness means I'm becoming more like Jesus every day. And we should think about everything we do as a church as a means to move closer to that goal. In fact, one of the things uh, the elders have been doing right now and would ask for your prayers for us, uh, we're coming up on our, our annual State of the Church um, meeting where we have a big feast and we eat and we have a great time and then we talk about God's kindness and faithfulness to us in the year past and then we talk about where we believe He's taking us in the future. And uh, one of the things... Uh, that we do as elders is we sit down and we go through every single ministry at the church and we evaluate those. 
And this is one of the criteria that we're thinking about is, you know, we've been doing this ministry for 20 years. Okay, is, is, it, is it promoting the gospel? Is it creating sound doctrine? Is it moving people toward godliness? And if the answer is no or not so good or not really, well, guess what we're going to do? We're going to change it. We're going we're gonna to adjust it so that it does come in line with those goals because this, this is what we need to be centered on as a church. And again, if you're new to our church, I, I, hope, I hope you've seen that we take this doctrine thing pretty seriously because we really do believe that sound doctrine centered on the personal work of Jesus is our foundation and that sharing that faith, sharing that message is our primary goal and that becoming more like Christ is our personal endeavor as believers in the local church. And that, that's what we're up to in a nutshell. Again, lots of other things we can do, and there's some other things we do that, that, that are good that supplement those things. But this always needs to be the main thing. Number two, we need to be an intentional example of godliness regardless of your age. And a couple of weeks ago, uh, in addressing some of you uh, young folks here, our high school students, our college students, our 20-somethings, uh, that I guess we, we could say 30s and 40s is young too, right? Can we do that? 50s? Do I hear 50s? Um, but uh, l- listen to this verse. And I would encourage you, um, if you're a young person, however you want to define that, that you would memorize this verse and you would make this your life verse right now at this season of your life. I can't think of a better verse in the Bible to help you, our young people, to know what God's will is for your life. Look with me again at verse 12. Let no one look down on your youthfulness. Let's just stop right there. And uh, old people, I want you to be quiet for a minute. Okay, I'm going to talk to the young guys. Okay, now if you're 50 and want to participate because you consider that a young guy, that's, that's cool too. So young people, what does it mean to not look down on your youthfulness? What's that mean? This is the part where you talk. Brianna? Okay, just because of, of your age doesn't mean you can't be a mature Christian. Yeah, can I, can I just ask you, young people, when you look around, um, how high is the bar set in terms of standards for people your age? Yeah, it's not a high jump bar. It's like, like something you trip over, right? It's uh, Right? Would you agree with that? Whether it's uh, someone you work with or someone you go to school with or play sports with. Would you say the bar is set pretty low? At least not. You don't have to say it. At least nod your head. Nod your head, Aiden. Nod your head. Yeah, that's right, Pastor Keith. Okay. I got Tucker. Tucker's with me there. So, okay. So the bar's set pretty low. Let no one look down on your youthfulness means what? Do you need some help? Okay. It means don't let your age be your excuse for not taking your faith and spiritual maturity as seriously as you need to. Don't don't use your age. Don't use the fact that you're young and you know the bar set really low. So if you're just like a responsible 
17-year-old, you're, you're going to stand out because most 17-year-olds aren't responsible, right? So, hey, you're like, hey, that's great. But that, but what, what Paul is saying to Timothy, and by extension to you guys, he's saying, don't let the fact that you're young and so people are not going to put a same expectation on you, he's going to say, you don't live like that. You live recognizing that the same call of God for you to follow Him is the same standard as as us old people. Don't let your youth be an excuse to flounder and drag your feet in spiritual maturity. But instead, what does he say? Memorize it. In speech, conduct, love, faith, in purity, right? In speech, how you talk, your words. In conduct, how you live. In, what's the next one? Love, how you treat one another. In faith, right? The, the, um, the way that you operate as a believer, how you're growing, how you're pursuing Christ, your spiritual disciplines, your involvement in the local church, your purity. Interesting. That your own personal purity as a believer uh, ought to be at the top of your list in terms of your walk with God, right? In speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, then what does he say? Show yourself an example of those who believe. You ready for this? God is saying that you young people ought to set the standard for spiritual maturity in your generation. Are you up for the challenge? That's that's God's will. That's His kind admonition. And, and, and this is great. You know, we're coming up with the new year. People are, I'm a New Year's resolution. Whether you do that or not, can I just say that this this is this is the ultimate New Year's resolution here. To say as a young person, I'm going to commit myself in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity to be an example of what it means to be a believer in my generation. You know, we're getting old, guys. We're getting old. We're going to go be with Jesus. You know. Soon, and you guys, you guys will take up the mantle of the gospel in leadership in your local church, in leading your families, in sharing the gospel with your culture and your generation. You guys will be the one engaging your peers in your faith. You guys will be the one um, going to all the world to make disciples and mission trips and, and, and the giving that you share and, and how you live in your workplace and, and how you raise your family. That, that, that's coming sooner than you know. And now is the time um, to get serious about your walk with God to that end. And so we want to pray for you and love on you and walk with you to help you in that. But don't let anybody let, don't, don't ever think that your age can be an excuse for not pursuing Jesus with all your heart and being an example of spiritual maturity. And that's what he's, he's getting at here. Okay. Old people, you can re-engage now. Okay. Um, number three, read the scriptures publicly, exhort and teach some more. Look at this. Until I come, Paul says to Timothy, give attention, until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. One of the things we do is we read the Scriptures publicly. 
We do it in the worship service. We do it in here. Hopefully you do it with your family at home. That there, there is a, a collective exercise of public scripture reading that, that keeps us centered on the main thing. And maybe, do you guys do Advent in, in your home? Do you guys do an Advent? Right? This is a great time. You've never done this. Um, I grew up Lutheran, so, so the Advent wreath was like, you know, part of part of the decorations in the house. But um, th- this is a great time to get your family together, get some friends together. You got you guys that are that are again college students. Get your friends together and go through these biblical texts, read them together, and talk about what they mean, and talk about how you can live them out this Christmas season. And uh, we read scripture publicly. Go back to the text there. We exhort and we teach some more. Notice the emphasis on teaching. Um, you, you can walk into a local church and know something of the immediate health of the church by simply asking the question, are they a teaching church? Uh, and again, that, you know, you say, well, that, that's what Grace Bible Church does. Well, I don't say that because that's what we do. I say that because that's what God is saying we ought to do. We're a teaching church. We're an exhorting church. That word exhort can have the idea of encouragement. It can also have the idea of correcting when needed. So we read... We correct, we encourage, we teach. Those are practices of a healthy church. Look at this. Use number four, use your spiritual gift. Don't neglect it. Verse 14. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through the prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. And you say, what on earth is that about? Well, in this this season of biblical history, particularly for people like Timothy, spiritual gifts came as a result of the laying on of hands of the apostles. Uh, that was that was a, a temporary arrangement during the foundational years of the church. Nowadays, we know that all believers, as soon as they become Christians, are are given a capacity uh, for certain spiritual gifts. And we read that, for example, in Ephesians chapter four, or First uh, Corinthians twelve to fourteen, Romans chapter twelve. So, so what that means is all of us have been given. Gifts by God's Spirit that we are to employ in the benefit of the body. Okay, so, so here's here's the uh, here's the quiz question for the day. Okay, do you know what your gift is, and are you using it? And if the answer is no, or I'm not sure, um, I think the the best way to figure out your giftedness is to just get involved in the church. Just get involved in serving. And uh, you will discover, hey, you know, it seems like that's something God's gifted me to do. Or, oh no, that's not something God's gifted me to do. I'll go over here and try this other thing. But but a healthy church depends on every member of the church using its gifts. We were talking about this at our elder meeting the other day. As as we grow as a church numerically, which is happening, and and praise the Lord for that, it, it is absolutely essential that that we are active believers in our local church, not uh, not passive sideline spectators in our local church. Because, uh, and this is great, whatever God does here, we know He always gives us what we need to flourish as a church. Insofar as everybody is doing their part, right? You know, if if it's my turn to do the dishes at home. And, uh, and I don't do that. Well, guess what? Dishes don't get done. 
Someone else has to do it, right? And then that burdens other people. And, and the same is true in, in the local church. When we're all doing our part, the whole body grows in maturity and unity. So this is a reminder, don't neglect your gift. Um, and, you know, some of you may be a bit shy about that, or maybe it's overwhelming what to do, or, you know, fear of well, what if I mess up or something. That's a, can, I, can I just tell you, th- this is a great place. This is a great place to figure that out because... We love each other, we encourage each other, we're going to help each other. And um, so, so uh, Pastor Terry always says in his announcements uh, when, before the start of the service, he always talks about opportunities for service of the local church. So be listening there, maybe, if, if you've been thinking about uh, what I can do to serve. Uh, but the point is, you all have a gift, and we need to be using those gifts uh, so that the whole body grows together. Number five, practice and cultivate your ministry skills. Look at this. He says, do not neglect the spiritual gift that was in you. Verse 15, take pains with these things and be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. Um, Think about that for a minute. What does he mean, do you think, uh, take pains with these things? There's certainly an intentionality. Yeah, okay. What else? What, What are the these things, first of all? Yeah, using your gifts, engaging in ministry. Yeah, back to the youthfulness, right? Yeah, you know, don't you know, continue to speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity to be an example. Sound doctrine, practicing godliness, and then he says, take pains with these things. If if we were at the gymnasium and I said, take pains with these things uh, down at the YMCA, what what would you think that that meant? That you what? You'd work hard. To take pains with something means you work hard at it, right? And he says, take pains with these things, be, and then the NASB says, absorbed in them. And if you're using the New American Standard, you notice that that, that word uh, absorbed is in italics. Do you see that there? That means that it's implied by the context. Literally, Paul says, be in them. Have you ever heard somebody say, that man's really into his work? You ever heard that before? This is what Paul's saying. He's saying, really be in to your walk with God in your ministry. Be absorbed in it. Take pains in it. Work hard at it. Uh, be consumed by it. Um, I, think, I think we all know this already, but I'm going to say it. Our Christian faith, meaning our walk with God, and our ministry... Is, is not like a hobby. You know, it's not like something we, you know, we do on Saturdays. And then we, we do all this other stuff, right? Our Christian faith is not an appendage to life, and we just kind of do it at certain times. Well, what this is saying is your faith ought to be the thing that consumes you in what we do. We ought to be absorbed in them and take pains, work hard at it. Um, Practice and I, I, on your notes, I just put practice and cultivate your ministry skills. Be in them. Be be consumed by them. Um, and again, if I, if I can just say, I, I think that um, by God's grace, I think we do a good job at this. You know, whether it's working in Awana or the nursery or children's ministry or a, a women's study or you know, whatever it is, uh, you know, stacking chairs every Sunday and. 
right? That's, that's what life is about, is, is taking our faith seriously, taking ministry seriously. Um, do you remember what Paul said about his life? How did he picture his life? He pictured his life like a drink offering. Do you remember, do you remember that analogy? A drink offering. You say, what's that? A drink offering in the Old Testament was a, a, an offering, a liquid offering that they would pour out on the altar as a part of their worship. And Paul says, you know what? That's what my life is like. I'm viewing my life as something to pour out in ministry to other people as an expression of my faith in God. And uh, we, we, we want to be consumed with our faith and with ministry around us. Uh, number six, be especially careful about your life and what you teach since salvation is at stake. Look at this. Look at verse 16. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. For as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Um, does that verse scare you a little bit? If it doesn't, you, you probably missed what it's saying. Uh, pay close attention to yourself, meaning your life, how you live, and to your teaching, what you're telling other people. Persevere in those things, meaning keep at it, don't give up, don't get slack. For as you are careful about your life and your doctrine, what's going to be true? What's that? Others. Other will see Christ. That's that's right. Yeah, they'll see Christ. What does Paul say will be true? Salvation. Yeah, salvation. Look, look back at what it says. As you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Whoa, what does that mean? Anyone, anyone want to take a stab at that? That's right. Certainly. Here's what he's saying. Here's what he's saying. Your life and your teaching, your doctrine, reveals your spiritual condition. I'll say that again. Your life, how you live, your and your doctrine, your teaching, reveals how you live. That's why he says pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching because that ultimately says something about your salvation. I don't think Paul here is is denying or, or contradicting anything else he said in his letters. He's not saying, you know, if your life's good and your doctrine's good, that's going to bring you to salvation. I, I don't think he's teaching that we earn salvation in those ways. What I think he's saying is how you live and what you teach reveals the validity of your salvation. That you really truly are a believer. But when we see people that are not living according to God's word, when we see that they're not teaching things that are biblical, that says something about the ill health of their spiritual condition. So we watch over our life and our doctrine. We persevere in these things because that... that that act of watching over and working hard and, and, and that's evidence that you're really truly a Christian. Yes? You said before, Keith, that 
time is the essential mm-hmm. revealer yeah. of whether a person has truly has salvation. Mm-hmm. And it's the time that that is going to reveal if you are pursuing God and and conforming and growing and maturing. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So, so time, yes, time, time is the revealer in the sense that I need time to see, is this person growing in godliness? Are they growing in doctrine? Uh, are they persevering? Yeah, for sure. That, that's true. Yeah, Katie. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, it is the same idea, that, that sanctif- sanctification idea where we have a responsibility to do that. Yeah. So, so again, Paul's not saying if you have good life and good doctrine, you earn salvation. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is when you are walking with God in your life and you're growing in sound doctrine and persevering, that, that reveals true, that, that true salvation is something that you actually possess. But notice what he says. He doesn't just say you will ensure salvation both for yourself, but he also says what? For those who hear you. So what's he saying? Our pursuit of God, our personal pursuit of godliness, being more like Christ, coupled with having accurate teaching and doctrine, helps ensure that we are having the proper influence on other people who need Christ. He says, as you do this, you ensure salvation for yourself, but as well as for those who hear you. What happens if you're, you know, making some Facebook post, and you're basing that on wrong doctrine in terms of whatever issue you're talking about, you're misleading all those people. Maybe some who need Christ, and they're going to miss true salvation because your teaching was out of bounds. Right. Or, and maybe this is, this is just as sobering, as people learn from our example what it means to be a believer, when they see hypocrisy when they see inconsistency, when they see worldliness, when they see immaturity, when they see tolerance of sin instead of repentance for sin, what sort of influence does that have on people who need Christ? That's, that's pretty sobering, isn't it? So this, this, this is one of those draw a line in the sand and, and you know, Paint it on your bathroom mirror. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Now, now a footnote. Paul is not intending that we have perfect lives or perfect doctrine. Uh, he In fact, he says back in chapter 1 that he's a work in progress. Okay, So we're, we're not talking about perfectionism here. What we're saying is, am I an authentic, growing example of what it means to be Christ-like in my life with God? And am I growing in my doctrine such that what I'm sharing with other people is a reflection of what the Bible actually says? And our influence as a local church to a community that needs the gospel depends on our life and our doctrine. And that's, that's what practicing biblical ministry means. And then one final point here. We'll get into chapter 5 with this. We need to learn to properly relate to others. 
Learn to properly relate to others. You can imagine, if we're going to be successful in our mission, if we're going to be growing in godliness, if we're going to be sharing the gospel, if we're going to be growing in our doctrine, we have to learn how to get along. And you know this. In fact, maybe you've been in a church like this before. Maybe you've come out of a church where you're like, yeah, the music was great and the preaching was awesome and you know this was great and this was that. But there was that really painful people situation. That was the reason you ended up leaving the church. I, I talk to people almost every week that have stories like that. And it's sad. Because that demonstrates that we can get our doctrine right, but if we get our people skills wrong, it undermines our influence, doesn't it? So Paul's going to give us some, some tips here, okay? And he's going to use the family as the model. So, so here it is, okay? You, you want to know how to get along in the local church in two verses. You ready? Don't sharply rebuke an older man, but appeal to him as a father. So what does that mean? When we think about, uh, guys, when we think about men that are older than us, we treat them with the same respect and honor and kindness as we would our own father or a fatherly figure. And we appeal, right? We don't, we don't rebuke. We don't, we don't say, oh, you got it wrong, grandpa. You know, we, we, we appeal, right? We, we, we encourage, we, we make, uh, we make our case in a respectful way. Or how about this? Uh, you relate to older women as mothers. You know, we, we, we ought to never talk to an older woman uh, in, in a way that, that would be disrespectful or, or unkind or unappreciative. And, you know, thinking, you know, this is like, you know, like I'm talking to my mom in, in a respectful way in that. And, of course, Paul's assuming Footnote, Paul's assuming that we're doing a good job in our own family with our own mom and dad. And you know, maybe we read this and we say, man, I, I do sometimes talk to my mom in an inappropriate... Okay, well, that, that's a whole other sermon for another day. But you understand the analogy, right? We're treating older men as fathers, appealing, respectful, older women as mothers with care and gentleness. Um, younger men... Or excuse me, I, I skipped the younger men. So we appeal to younger men as brothers... Right with, with uh, camaraderie and equality, and um, uh, the, the fact that we're a family—that's why he uses this analogy. Right? We, sometimes we can talk to other people like they're enemies. You, you ever have one of those sobering moments where you're talking to someone in your actual family, or maybe someone in the church, or whatever, and, and then it's like the light bulb comes on. You're like, I'm talking to this person like they're the problem. Instead of like they're a family member. And that, that's, the, that's the picture he wants us to buy into here and appreciate. And then he says, finally, and treat the younger women as sisters. And notice this, in all purity. Uh, that, that's, a, that's a great reminder that uh, the, the men of the church ought to be treating the women of the church in all purity and honor and holiness uh, as sisters, right? As, as those that are family that we're called to protect and care for and respect and honor and look out for, uh, rather than people that we sin against, uh, in, in multiple ways. So, okay. So 
practice biblical ministry, right? He, Paul's got his shotgun out. He's just doom, 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 doom. But these are the nuts and bolts of what it means to be a healthy church. And these are practices that we ought to strive to grow in as we would ask God to continue to bless our church and its efforts. So let's do that. Father, we're grateful uh, for your word and how instructive and clear it is. Uh, We confess that we have areas where we can grow in and and maybe some areas where we need to do major revision in. Uh, But whatever the case, will you... uh, Uh, work in our hearts this morning that we might walk away um, with this admonition in mind that that we would grow to be a healthy church and and we would treat one another and and our doctrine and our our teaching and our practice and our people skills, uh, all these things, uh, that we would do so, uh, that you might be honored and that we we might grow as a church in our maturity, in our unity, uh, so that we can be a bright light of influence Uh, in our community. Will you continue to give us grace and show us mercy that we might be effective in these ways? In Jesus' name, amen.